What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 130, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Prophecy. 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 We're an independent podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you could do so at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. We have tiers, we have privileges. Zach's going to let us know a little bit about that in a bit. Uh, the things, though, that you get uh, when you join Patreon is access to Patreon first audio content. The other side of the gate is a show with Zach and David where they talk about spoilery things that I'm usually not allowed to listen to. Uh, Stargate Second Chances are uh, is a podcast where Zach and I rewatch a particular episode based off of your votes and then give our second opinion about the thing after having seen it. In my case, a second time. In Zach's case, many, many times. And we are uh, struggling to nail down a date, but it is on our radar to, although I guess it's not this one that we're struggling, whatever. We're going to be doing um, Stargate. We're going to be watching Stargate Infinity, the animated series. Uh, it was one of our stretch goals based off of the monthly contributions. Thank you so much, everybody, that got us over that hump that one month. And yes, that one month, we are uh, under no obligation to keep going and killing ourselves with watching a terrible television show, unless that stretch goal is met again. So... Um, if you want to see us uh, do more Stargate Infinity, even though technically we haven't done the first one, but it's on our calendar, uh, then go over to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, grab yourself a membership. Now, if you are saying to yourself, but wait, I do not want to give you money. That's OK. We aren't in this to earn the cashy cash. What we are in it for is the fun and to have a good opportunity to talk about a show and share it with fans. And we're having a great time doing it. Everything that we make that's Patreon first will land on our main feed at some point. We've been dropping shows a little bit here and there as we've had to take some time off uh, with different things. We're coming up at the end of season six pretty soon. I got a feeling that uh, we'll be dropping another something that we've got in our back catalog in one of those weeks. We typically like to take a week or two off in between seasons. And um, you can find whatever. Uh, <laughs> Every time I open with, you can find our podcast, I just can't stand it. Uh, our podcast is on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts and with podcast aggregators. If somebody in your life needs more Stargate podcasty stuff, you can tell them where to go with that one. Now, that oh, there was a big thing that just went away. Poof. Um, I'm just helping you out, Brent. You don't have to worry about that anymore. It's gone. Okay. <laughs> Except that, Zach, the problem is that I'm literally staring out the window, not looking at the show notes. <laughs> And saying all those words all over again, and I glance down, and there they're back. <laughs> okay, there you go. I, I, I don't want to confuse you too much. Now with the Patreon, we've got a special thanks. Uh, we got Carrie who joined our Patreon. Thank you so much, Carrie. Uh, thank you for your support. It's wonderful to have you out with us. And friends, if you want to hear me say your name, presuming that you aren't also named somebody that we've said before, but we will give you your special thank you if you jump over to Patreon.com/slash/Walking Through the Stargate. Zach, if somebody wants to let us know that uh, we seem to be moving at a pretty good clip, and that's because we're on a tight schedule today, so we're going to keep it tight and bright. Um, how might they let us know that things seem to be uh, crisper, crisper this morning, this beautiful so morning? So if you are listening to this podcast right now and you think, gosh, this introduction is way better than most of the introductions because they're faster <laughs> and quicker and, and, and all of that stuff, then you can let us know that you want us to do this all the time regularly at walking through the stargate at gmail.com or of mm -hmm. course you can go to tw Twitter at Stargate Walking Facebook. Mm -hmm. You know the Facebooks. The website WTTS.space. You can't Space. really 
communicate with us too much there, but you can look at it. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> there is eventually going to be a grilled cheese recipe there, probably, maybe, possibly. Sure. Uh, also, you can go to the discords and check yes. out the Facebooks and the Twitters for the link for that. And, and the website. Interestingly, Thank you, David. If you actually want to talk, it's on the website too. Wonderful. Yeah. Shows you how often I look at the website. It's fine. <laughs> Now, if you want to talk to Brent in the social medias-like world, Discord is the place to do it because yeah. he is far more likely to be there than anywhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, of course, true. we have the Patreon uh, with the other side of the gate, Stargate Second Chances. We are still on the Discords taking, uh, soliciting names for what we're yes, going to call right. the Stargate Infinity uh, podcast. We got uh, some good suggestions. We have some great suggestions. Brett and I have talked about uh, creating a uh, March Madness-like bracket yep. for that, uh, and we will let you know how that plays out. Uh, yes. If you are concerned about voting for that or whatever, don't worry, oh. because this is totally happening in-house. Uh, yes. But you can participate by getting your names in. That's right. All right. So... Uh, the place that we are struggling with is uh, we are supposed to do an episode on the Knox for Second yes. Chances. We had plans to do that yesterday, yes, yesterday, uh, but work. life got in the way, and so we will have to reschedule that. But it will be coming as soon yep. as we can. So absolutely, Brent. Yes. Prophecy. Yeah. Are you ready? Let's let's dive into this thing. All right. The director for Prophecy is William Waring. We've heard his name before, but not this season. This is his only credit this season. Mm. Uh, he did do Meridian from season five, and I think he did some other episodes as well, hmm. uh, but I noticed that in, in a quick look. Uh, the teleplay for this episode is Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully. This mm-hmm. is their seventh of seven writing credits this season. They mm-hmm. did Descent, Nightwalker, Shadowplay, Prometheus, Smoke and Mirrors, and Disclosure. And here mm-hmm. we go. So, we have several guest actors. The first one is Thomas Kapach or Kapachi or Kapash or Kopash <laughs> or Kapash. <laughs> Thomas, Thomas K. Thomas, Thomas K. Uh, I had a professor in college named Thomas K. I mean, it wasn't Kapach, it was something different, but his first name was Thomas and his gotcha. last name was a K. Anyway, <laughs> this Thomas played Ellery. Uh, he was born in Manchester, New Hampshire in 1945. Uh, he is best known for his role as Assistant Secretary of State Bob Slatterly on the West Wing. Oh, okay. And for appearing in many uh, different roles in Star Trek. Uh, he has played, in fact, seven different roles in various Star Treks in hmm. Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. Oh, wow. Uh, he is one of only four actors to play seven different characters on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that is pretty cool about him. Yeah. His first IMDb credit was Without a Trace in 1983 when he played a police officer. Ah, yes. The memorable police officer. The memorable police officer. Now, we have Victor Telmage, who plays Lord Mott. Mm-hmm. He is an accomplished actor, director, and playwright. He received a BA from Cornell in 1977. Um, and let's see here. Throughout his 10 years in New York, he was involved in numerous activities, especially off-Broadway and other classic stuff there. 
Uh, he did some projects with Robert Schenken, Jeff Jones, Shelby Brammer. Mm-hmm. He co-founded and served as the literary director for the award-winning New York theater company Empire Stage Players. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. He did a one-act play called Kiss Goodbye, The Howling Beast. And he was a finalist at the Actors Theater of Louisville short play competition. Oh, nice. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, He taught playwriting at Johns Hopkins University and served as an adjunct assistant professor of English for City University of New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots and lots of other things in his life. He's done several things on stage, obviously, and and on on the screen. Uh, But most of his career, as far as I can tell, is probably on stage. And mm-hmm. teaching and all that stuff. Yep. Um, his first IMDb credit was Double Negative, which was a short in 1985 when he mm-hmm. played the janitor. Ah, so we have the police officer and the janitor. Indeed. Really memorable. Yes. Now we have Tom Schulte. He plays Chazen. This is mm-hmm. the, the guy from the planet who uh, rats him out to Mott. Yeah. The spy. The spy, right? He is known for the core sisters and brothers and the uh, walking tall mm-hmm. and i don't know any of those things but i think he's no walking tall sounds familiar but carry on all right his first imdb credit was in 1995 in the movie live bait he played trevor mcintosh Ooh, a named role yeah. nice you know, he was probably just the one guy that was Trevor McIntosh that ran in the background. Who I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. I mean, his scene was cut from the film, but whatever. He was well, there. You know, that counts. Uh, we have Sarah Edmondson, who plays Natanya. This mm-hmm. is uh, um, uh, Ellery's Ella, Ella granddaughter, daughter, relative, whatever. Yes, I think. Uh Whatever. There was, yes, relation. Yeah. She was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, she launched a professional acting career on the popular CBC teen soap series Edgemont, or Edgemont, uh, mm-hmm. where she played the love interest to Grace Park's character Shannon. Grace Park, uh, Hawaii hey, Five-O. Grace Park plays a lot of Shannon. Also, Star Galactic. know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, most people would know her from Hawaii Five-O, but... I know her from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Uh, From there, Sarah went on to numerous lead and supporting roles in Sci-Fi as Andromeda, Continuum, SG-1, USA Network's Dead Zone, uh, Lifetime Television's Killer Hair, Hostile Makeover. (laughs) Uh, She guest starred on Fringe, all sorts of stuff. Nice. Um, She's also been seen on Psych!, uh, oh, which yeah. is a favorite mm-hmm. of Julie's. Julie mm-hmm. likes Psych. Uh, she did not hesitate to step into a role of a psychopathic criminal groupie in Blaine Thurrier's critically acclaimed feature, A Gun to the Head, which premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. Hmm. Okay. I don't know anything about that. Nope, neither do I. Uh, this goes on and on and on and on. She's done lots <laughs> and lots of stuff. Um um, this was uh, me uh, editing on the fly the mini bi- biography by Sarah Edmondson from IMDb. Mm-hmm. So she's done lots of fun stuff. Her first IMDb credit, however, was in 1998 uh, when she played Gina Malone 
in the episode The Itchy Sports Mystery of the TV series <laughs> The Mystery Files of Shelby Woo. Ah, okay. So, nice. we have Johanna Newmark, or Newmarsh, or Newmarch, I don't know. She <laughs> plays the Tokrasina. Yes. Uh, she is known for her work on a Cinderella story, Christmas Wish, in 2019, When Calls the Heart in 2014, and also Supernatural, that started in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a nominee for Best Actress at the 2012 UBCB, UBCP slash ACTRA Awards for Sunflower Hour. Hmm. Uh, I'm not certain what all of those letters mean, but I'm sure it's ha! really important. Neither do I. Yes. <laughs> uh, her first IMDb credit was The People Across the Lake. That's a TV movie in 1988 mm-hmm. when she played Debbie Mortimer. Hmm. Okay. All right. And then we also have uh, Karen Conaval, who plays Dr. Sandy Vendensen. And we really only see her eyeballs because the rest of her face is covered in a mask. (laughs) But she did a good job conveying that emotion through her eyes. She did. She has appeared in guest starring roles in numerous TV series and supporting lead roles in many feature films, including Maurice the orangutan in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, those are in 11, 14, and 17, respectively. She mm-hmm. received a Philip Borsus Award for her lead role as Mary Leonard in the feature Cable Beach in 2004 mm-hmm. and has received numerous awards for her work in theater, performing lead roles in contemporary classics and a wide range of musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, there you have it. Her first IMDb credit was in the TV movie Firefighter, way back in the 1986s. <laughs> and she 1986s. <laughs> and she played fire department secretary. Nope. Back to the unnamed roles again. There All you right. go. We of course say hello again to Gary Jones as Walter Harriman. Terrell Rothery as Dr. Janet Frazier, and Rob Lee as Major Pierce. Yep. All right. So, the original air date for this was was February 19, 2003 in the UK, Mm -hmm. and March 14, 2003 in the US. Uh Aha. The US and the UK on the 14th of March was listening the same thing they were listening a week earlier in The Club by 50 Cent Uh and Beautiful by Christine Aguilera. Yep. So... In the box office, we all people of the peoples were watching movies, and those movies started with Bringing Down the House, uh-huh, uh-huh. Agent Cody Banks, oh, right. The Hunted. I, I mean, I didn't see it, but yeah. No, I, I haven't seen any of these yet. Tears of the Sun, mm-hmm. you know, and clearly Cody Banks is bringing down the house, and that's why he's been hunted, and ah. that's why there are Tears of the Sun, because it's a play on Sun, Sun. Where, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. And this oh, whole thing hey, takes place clever. in Chicago, which is number yeah. five. Okay. Which is sort That's of a right. rehash of what last week was. But, well, you know, but, you know, yeah. There you go. But sometimes you just need a rehash. That, you know, sometimes it's worthwhile watching the same thing again. <laughs> is that a pitch for Stargate Second Chances, where next time we'll be watching <laughs> The Knox? <laughs> Sure. Um, so, what was happening at this time? Honestly, 
I don't know, because I was <laughs> speeding through these, and I thought I had all of my show notes done, and I realized that I had skipped this section. Oh, this is all from last time. Okay, well, yeah. it'll be a big mystery. Yeah. At this time in 2003, people were getting ready for St. Patrick's Day, sort of. Yeah, sure. It's the Ides of March is coming. Oh, yeah, that's right. Beware them. Beware the Ides of March. Or it. Is Ides, I mean... Is I'd singular or plural? Hmm. Anyway, we'll worry I about that don't later. know. I don't. Sorry, the question is: Are there more than one Ides? Yeah, that's or right. More or than is one Ide, or is it Ides? Is just uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know either. All right. Well, anyway, uh, Mott. Here's some trivia for this episode. Mm-hmm. Mott was not only the Canaanite god of death. The word Mott with various. Uh, spelling variations means death in several Semitic and Afro-Asiatic languages. Oh, interesting. That's fun. Um, I like that one. I really wanted to spend a little bit of time and learn a little bit more about Mott, the Canaanite god. Um, yeah. You know, of course, they do talk about Mott and Baal in this episode a lot. And, of course, Baal is also a Canaanite god. Yep. Um, and that would explain that. Uh, this episode marks the death of Mott, which is the tenth powerful Guawuld that has been killed by SG-1's actions. The death of death? The death of death. Well, that's going to be a problem down the road. Well, anyway. you know. <laughs> um, <sighs> the book that Jonas Quinn is reading in the middle of the episode is entitled Precognition, Your Dreams Do Come True by W. Waring, Ph.D., Um, which, of course, is not a real book. W. Waring is the director of the episode. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, And you do see a picture of him on the back cover of the book. Oh, that's fun. That's nice. So, um, then, you know, so I I copied this with an intent to read it and edit it later, and I didn't do this, so I'm just going to read it and see what happens. I pulled this from uh, Gate World, I think. I can't remember for sure. But here it is. In the first version, these are the, the, the two versions of the, the ambush. In the first mm-hmm. version, Major Pierce dials out and sends SG-15's IDC. Once he confirms it to Colonel Jack, o- uh, Colonel Jack O'Neill, he is shot in the back with a staff weapon by one of Lord Mott's Jaffa. Having the element of surprise and cover, the Jaffa catch the SG teams off guard and quickly overwhelm them, killing most of the SG-15. Until it goes to the aid of the wounded but still alive, Pierce, he's shot in the leg. And when he tries to rise, he's shot in the back several times. Bang, bang, bang. Ouch. And then he dies. Oh. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the last remaining member of SG-15 is killed as well. Uh, leaving O'Neill as the last survivor. He fights on alone, but is overwhelmed and killed. The Jaffa then travel through the Stargate, first firing a blast that takes out Stargate operations room window and damages the equipment inside. Major General Hammond uh, is, survives, but Walter Harriman at least is killed. A Gould grenade stuns the defense team uh, long enough for the Jaffa to kill them with a few casualties and then bring a bomb through. Hammond closes the iris, and airmen coming in with from the hallways take out all the Jaffa, but with the bomb, uh, it's still there. It blows up, and, and bad stuff happens. Mm-hmm. In the second version, after learning of Jonas Quinn's vision of both events, Hammond attempts to contact Stargate 15, SG-15, O'Neill and Teal... Uh, Star, SG-15, O'Neill and Teal'c. 
uh, by radio, but the message is intercepted by Chazen. After learning that the prisoners have escaped, Chazen sounds the alarm. As a result, this time the alarm is sounded before Pierce can send the IDC and alerts the SG teams to the presence of the Jaffa. O'Neill sees the Jaffa aiming for Pierce, warns him to drop, and kills the Jaffa with his at Nicotel. This time, aware of the ambush and able to take cover, O'Neill and Teal'c and SG-15 are successful and able to fight off the ambush, killing Jaffa and suffering no casualties. Though a member of SG-15 does get a leg injury, which is suffering a casualty, but let's not quibble over who shot who. Uh, this time, the IDC is not sent right away, and Hammond has the SFs guarding the Stargate wield blast shields and heavier weapons in case Jonas's vision does come true. When the SG-15 IDC is finally sent, uh, they come through, and everything is happy. Woohoo! Yay! I'm not certain why that was in the trivia section, but it looked long and it's, interesting. Yeah, so um, I'm realizing why, but you're probably going to cover it in the synopsis is that the second half of the vision was aired first. And then the first half of the vision came later, right? Jonas needed more time to figure out why the bad guys had the, the the code. So this is just typing it out in chronological order so that you get the whole picture. There you go. Um, But the, the whole prophecy thing um, did instigate Uh, Hammond calling for aid or calling, hey, watch out for this, which changed everything. Changed Uh, everything. Yeah. Okay. So the French call this episode The Prophecy. Oh, yeah. As do the Italians, as do the Hungarians. Okay. The Spanish and the Czech just drop the definite article and go prophecy. Yeah. Okay. And the Germans call this Jonas's Visions. Oh, for a beat, I thought you were going to go with my jokey, jokey, Jonas is alive, but like, or Jonas survives, but, um, but still Jonas's visions. Okay. There you go. That's okay. All right. So are you ready for the synopsis for the episode prophecy? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Previously on Stargate SG-1, Nearty wants to make the best possible humans ever. Nearty wants to make a Hoktar that is an advanced human. That sounds like a good thing, right? Oh, oh, wait. Wait a minute. She's not a nice lady. She's super mean and will kill people in the vain attempt to make herself greater. Bad, Nirti. Bad. 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 We see her experiment on Cassie and many others. And we see her manipulate Jonas's DNA and offer him great power. And now... Ultimate power. Phenomenal cosmic power! Itty-bitty living space. SG-1 has a meal, loosely defined as such, from Jack's point of view. <laughs> the meal the- is loose, too. <laughs> <laughs> On the planet P4S-237, with the poor inhabitants therein. Their leader, LRI, tells them that their planet once belonged to Ball, and he forced the people to extract Naquita from the mines until it no longer was valuable to do so. But... Despite Ball's departure, the people are still forced to work under the heavy hand of Ball's underling, Lord Mott. Could Mott be stockpiling Naquita for his own nefarious purposes? Yes. Yes, he is. That is exactly what he's doing. Will we ever discover what that purpose is? No. No, we will not, because it's not important to the story, and so therefore we don't care. During the meal, Jonas has a strange vision. LRI wants SG-1's help because of a prophecy. Chazen calls him a fool! 
And shortly thereafter, his vision really happens. What? Afterward, Jonas suddenly collapses. Jonas, did you eat the bad sushi? Don't do that. Oh, wait, no, that, that, that's, not what's, what, that's not what's going on. Uh, anyway, uh, back at Stargate Command, Dr. Frazier tells General Hammond that, Jonas, uh, that she has found in Jonas a, some strange activity in his cranial region, or the brain. Jonas seems to be okay either way, so no big deal. But despite the symptoms being similar uh, of the Nequadria poisoning of many other people from his planet, this is not Nequadria poisoning. So, let's move on. SG-1 sits with Hammond at the briefing table where they brief the general on what was happening on the planet. There is a possibility that the denizens, that they could free the denizens of the Guawuld oppression if they act quickly. Ball likely doesn't know what Mott is doing, and if they took out Mott, the other Guawulds probably would leave the planet alone, figuring it's already worthless anyway. Did the people ask for help? Asks the general. Well, they, they kind of hinted about the prophecy about people coming through the gate and saving them. Kind of. But no, they, they didn't quite say yes. They didn't quite say no. They must have been too afraid to say anything. As all of this is going on, Jonas zones out. And during his zoning out and the tiresome exposition, he has another vision. Apparently, it's chicken night in the mess hall. Later, Jonas is in his office, Carter invites him to chicken night in the mess hall, and Jonas is stunned by the vision happening precisely as he saw it before. Could he be developing precognitive powers? Possibly. Carter doesn't think this is scientifically possible. Sure, according to Newtonian physics, it is possible if you knew exactly what what the the location and the speed of all the particles in all the places, you could probably figure everything out and then you'd know everything. Da-da-da. But according to quantum physics, you can't know the the position and the speed of a particle at the same time, which totally blows out Newtonian physics out of the water. So what we really need is a Neritian physics, which makes it all possible. (laughs) Nice. Okay, maybe not. Anyway, back to the story. Frazier has now discovered a tumor in Jonas's brain. Oh, no. If they don't operate and remove it soon, it'll kill him. But Jonas doesn't want the visions to stop just yet. Give me some time, he says. Let me figure it out. Maybe things will be okay and it'll be fine. Hammond gives him 24 hours. Hint, it's not going to be fine. It. (laughs) So Jonas has another vision of a toker named Cena visiting the SGC. And in the vision, she comes and talks to them. And sure enough, when she comes, she talks to them. And she tells them about Mott and Ball and the planet. And she confirms what everybody suspected. Jonas's vision comes true. SG-1, Sans Jonas, and SG-15 plan to go back to the planet to begin preparations for demotifying the planet. But Jonas sees a vision of Carter being hurt and nearly dying. Believing that she'll be hurt on the planet, he rushes to stop the mission. Stop the mission! Stop it! Okay, after some discussion, the mission continues, but Carter remains behind just as a precaution. You know, we don't want anybody killed. Of course not. On the planet, LRI tells the Tauri that they'll support the elimination of Mott and the freedom of their people. Unfortunately, Chazen is a jerk and heads out into the forest to blab all about this to Mott. Bad Chazen. Bad. (laughs) <laughs> Back at the SGC, Jonas hears the klaxons of an emergency. 
Carter and Siler were working on something and it exploded. Siler hurt his hand, but Carter has severe burns on her shoulder and she nearly dies. Everything plays out precisely as Jonas foresaw, but he misinterpreted the signs of the vision. He thought it was from a staff blast and not some electrical current that zapped her shoulder. He will not make that mistake again. He won't. Back on the planet, Chazen reveals that he is in the service of Mott and that they're all going to be thrown in jail for a fair and equitable trial in a few days, at which point they will all be summarily found guilty and probably executed. Okay, that, that doesn't really happen. Um, but you could imagine it happening? Okay, I'll imagine it. Okay. Chazen does reveal his allegiance to Mott and he stuns them all with a stun grenade and they all wake up behind bars. And Mott does want to kill them all. So there, you know. Uh, anyway, back at the SGC, Fraser finds Jonas blacked out in his lab. She drops her files and calls for a medical team. Jonas, Jonas, are you okay? No, he's not okay. The imprisoned Colonel Jack O'Neill talks with Lord Mott. Mott's ghouldy persona does not disappoint. He knows that the Earth's gate is protected by an iris, and he knows that the GDO is what is used to open the iris. And he wants to know, because he does not know from Jack, how to use the GDO for such purposes of opening said iris. Because what's better than catching SG-1? Eliminating the entire Tauri threat. Surely that will be enough to get him into the ranks of system lords. Maybe, possibly. Or maybe he's just a toady for Anubis. Who knows? We'll find out later. Or we won't, because he dies. Back on Earth, Jonas has another vision of the Jaffa overrunning the base and detonating something in the gate room. All of this happened because they opened the iris after receiving SG-15's iris code. Maybe you shouldn't do that like that. We'll find out. Jonas promises to focus in on the premonitions to determine how the Jaffa get the iris code. In the meantime, Jack, Teal'c, and SG-15 are freed by LRI's daughter, Natania. That answers her question. She's her daughter. She's his daughter. I, I, I'll get my... Anyway. <laughs> they head to the gate yeah. to get reinforcements. Jonas uses meditation because, you know, it works for Teal'c to obtain another vision about how the Jaffa attack starts. He sees the SG teams on the planet use the DHD and transmit their IDC code. And then as the gate opens, the Jaffa ambush them, killing everybody and rush through the gate. Jonas again blacks out, but not before he is able to tell Carter about the ambush. He is rushed into surgery while Carter goes to tell Hammond what's happened or what will happen. Mm -hmm. Carter and Hammond try to warn SG-1, but Chazen intercepts the message and sounds the alarm when he realizes that they have already escaped. Mott is really mad at Chazen for sounding the, the alarm because Mott had let them escape on purpose so that he could ambush them at the gate. Mott begins to torture Chazen, perhaps even to death, but Natanya stops him by shooting the ghoul several times with a handgun. Bang, 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 bang. Mott presumably, is dead. At the gate, the SG teams are ambushed by the waiting Jaffa, but the sound of the alarm gives O'Neill just enough heads up that the ambush fails. The Jaffa does do not get the jump on Jack and his friends. A fight ensues. The gate is opened. SG-1, SG-15's iris code is sent. Hammond has a choice. Open the iris and risk an attack, or keep the iris closed and risk hearing the sound of Jack and Tilk and his friends smashing into the iris. Thum -thum -thum. Thum -thum -thum. He opens the iris, but not before he fills the gate room with a whole bunch of SFs prepped and ready for a big giant fight. But 
Jack and Teal can the rest come through the gate with only one injured man. Jack wants some more SG teams to return to the planet for they have some unfinished business to do there. In the meantime, the doctors at the SGC are successfully removing the tumor from Jonas's cranial unit. <laughs> he is still alive, but he is no longer having any visions. SG-1 later visits the recovering Jonas and tells him of their success on the planet. In the end, Jonas talks with Carter about his visions, pondering how odd it is that in changing his vision of the future, they fulfilled a prophecy that was made on the planet millennia ago. So is the world changeable or is it fixed? Oh, my goodness. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Prophecy. Mm -hmm. What'd you think? Well, unfortunately, all I can do is uh, relay my thoughts in a predetermined universe, and as such, I have no free will, so I might as well just say my words and move along with my puny little existence with it. Wait a minute! I can change it up on the fly. I can actuate my own future. I am in control of myself. I will tell you exactly what I think. Unless that is exactly what you were going to do anyway. That it's true. And if I go rogue, then we don't have a show. But I said I wanted to do a show. Oh, no, I don't know. I did have fun with this episode, partly because of the philosophical conundrums. All right. <laughs> There's, there is a fun theme here, right? It's, it's, uh, it, it is kind of tightly tied to uh, predestination or predeterminism. But the gist is, look, can we see the future or not? And if we can, can we actually affect it? And... I was thinking about it after I watched the episode that we do seem to like shows and stories about future telling when we are in the middle of uncertain times. And in spring 2003, the world was kind of an uncertain place. And, um, uh, you know, this fall time of 2021, I would advocate that the world is kind of an uncertain place. And uh, I'm enjoying watching Apple TV's Foundation, which is based really loosely on Isaac Asimov's books. Um, and core to that television show and foundation is the notion of whether or not a future is determined uh, or whether or not, uh, you know, a, a certain outcome is inevitable. Blah, blah, blah. It's central to the theme. The show is taking it in a different direction in the book. So we'll see how the show goes. But anyway, there you go. Uh, here in this episode. Uh, we're kind of covering that ground. Uh, we've got an augmented human who is uh, able to see the f- able to see the future, and we have a couple of examples where what is foreseen is inevitable. And then at the very end, you've got the same person that was like, "These things are inevitable," kind of bringing back that. Well, you know, it really did we really affect it, or did we actually just play into the inevitable? Right, the prophecy from a millennia ago. I I enjoy these types of 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 quandaries these philosophical quandaries and to kind of ruminate on them so i enjoyed that and i think that the the, the treatment of it was fine they didn't get too deep into it so as to um expose uh plot holes and or inconsistencies or things that you'd have to gloss over later but you just kind of you did just enough with it that it was tantalizing so i i enjoyed that i also thought that mott was a blast man that actor (laughs) <laughs> did a really good job with Mott. Yes, he did. Um, uh, and also the setting was really good and the lighting was excellent. Um, really kind of taking advantage of 
the sharp features of the actor who I should scroll up and see the name. Uh, Mott, 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 who were you played by? You were played by Lord Mott. Victor Talma- Tal- Talmadge. Tal- now it's me who's struggling with the last names. <laughs> um, Victor T., uh, who goes by V looked like VT VT uh, v, VT did a remarkable job and to the point of um, like I was it, it was it was kind of like the first time that I can recall for sure uh, and maybe the first time at all where I felt like there was a system lord that was actually worthy of the hypothetical title or the uh, the, the, the 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 conceptual impact in the universe right these extremely powerful nefarious aliens and all this time they have been seemingly un, or, you know undone by you know borderline trivial things mm-hmm. early on i was loving to just bash it for being completely vulnerable to c4 all the time and we have seen our heroes employ some uh relatively typical human uh, ways of solving a problem, and it just seems to catch these system lords completely off guard. And so Mott comes in, and he's kind of you know he's clicking it together. There's a couple of things that it the you know upon reflection, it's like wait a minute, like I'm actually not sure if he could know that there was an iris because I'm not confident that we've seen any incur. No, that's not true. So some bad guys have gotten back through the gate. They've escaped. Okay, so yeah, he's put it together, and yeah, I mean it's a a little bit like you know like convenient that he kind of also understands that this particular device is the device that's being used to send the code but whatever he puts it to he's a smart guy he's a real smart guy and and the the portrayal was wonderful and i was so excited and sure he gets it in the end but i wouldn't have minded if he didn't get it in the end because this one felt like like he could be worth our time Unfortunately, this is the last time I'm going to see him. So, <laughs> yes. so here and gone. Um, also good is like, you know, I think that we're finally kind of coming to a resolution of the Jonas arc, at least in the beginning. Uh, it has felt a bit forced of Jonas joining the team. And this episode, I felt also kind of forced the question of is Jonas accepted or not? But though I didn't really feel like I was being shown it very well, they are kind of taking the time to sort of like put a stamp on it. Like, no, you're good enough as you are. We don't need you to be augmented. We just need you to be you. And that's a nice message. And so that, that felt, that felt kind of nice just to have. And I also was kind of jamming on the hard science that uh, Carter was spitting out there with the Newtonian versus the quantum um, uh, explanations. And bringing in the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Uh, and um, though I suspect that uh, the metaphysics that would have to be kind of assumed to allow for a human to perceive the future kind of go outside of the strict definitions of whether or not you can know where a particle is or how fast it's going. It is kind of, you know, it's certainly a way to sort of tie it together. Like, look, there, there, there's a, there's a way that we understand the universe and the gist of it is we're pretty sure that particle is going to be about here going about that fast. And 99 times out of a hundred, we're right. And that's right. good enough. Uh, one time out of a hundred, we're wrong. And woo, huh, wow, we were wrong, <laughs> but good thing that those other 99 times were right because that's how we're sitting in chairs. Um, you know, otherwise we'd have, <laughs> I'd have this, I'd have my whole recording set up on the floor right now. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I thought that was kind of fun. Things that I thought were a bit clunky is like the pacing just felt a little off. And I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I think it might have to do with another part of it, which I wasn't super happy with. While this is a Jonas-centric episode, he spent an awful lot of time just, you know, walking around with a headache. And so there's there it felt kind of flat. There wasn't an awful lot of development on that one, though technically speaking, there was development on that one. But just didn't quite gel in the way that a wonderful story can, but it was okay. And um, while the plot of the story demanded that that last vision be incorrect, it's just kind of (laughs) convenient that the last vision is incorrect. (laughs) And so that's kind of a, that's kind of a mark against like, I understand it has to do that by definition. Um, but I still was a little bit like, yeah, okay. All right. Um, perhaps it would have been more satisfying for that vision to be correct, but in that misinterpretation way that happened with the, um, with the Carter getting, you know, uh, having to get paddled, mm-hmm. um, that is not the right way to say that. Anyway, um, we're going to move right along. Uh, so, but the. I uh, thank you. Uh, you know, so so perhaps there could have been a, a reinterpretation of the events such that SG one somehow survives and SG fifteen survives as well. Um, you know, unlikely as that is, and that would probably demand that you rethink that particular scene a bit to give you that avenue. Because as the scene was shot, it's like it's evident people died. Um, uh, but you know, it probably would have been a bit more satisfying to have the literally same events kind of transpire in a way where our heroes get out versus a way where our heroes are captured or dead. Like, I think that would probably have landed a bit better, but whatever. It's okay. Um, well, I guess especially because the real crux of the episode, bringing it all back, is do we live in a fixed universe or do we not? Um, you know, are we just on grand rails or can we impact the course of events? Um, do we have agency or not? Boy, oh boy, people have been wrestling with that question for quite a while, Zach. That is a true statement. (laughs) It's it's formed the basis of countless philosophical treatises, countless religions, countless, uh, 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 um, uh, primers on said religions within philosophies. Like we have been pondering the nature of that question for, for, for a very long time. And, it kind of depends on what you believe, like, like genuinely, like by definition. Um, otherwise, the, if we can't agree on a foundation, then each of these questions are equally valid. Um, and like I said, I love chewing on that stuff. So, so overall, I had a fun, I had a fine time with this episode. It didn't quite like gel, but. You know, it was hitting a lot of my marks, so I was enjoying it. How about you? What do you think about this one? So, um, you actually did a really good job of uh, kind of parsing out and laying out many of my feelings about this, mm-hmm. right? Um, the the talk about determinism and free will uh, was interesting. I thought that the whole, we have a prophecy that uh, some stranger from some place is going to come and destroy the bad guys and save us is a little heavy-handed and sufficiently vague that you really can't necessarily call that a prophecy that was fulfilled at the end, but it's what it is, so okay, fine. Um, Sure. You know, the whole question of determinism and free will um, is a fascinating one. 
um, they, they, they certainly talk about it in this episode. They, they use it as a plot point. I, I don't know. I, I'm, you know, I, I like the plot point, but there, there's some flat points to this episode as well. Um, I do like, uh, they talked about the, so like, when we first saw his visions, it was first person view, right? So we saw it from his point of view. Yes, yes. And as it progressed, it developed, and it went from first person view to kind of a, a second, and then eventually a third point of view, third person mm-hmm. point of view, um, uh, which is interesting in of itself. Although that's done entirely visually, and and uh, we don't really, and that's not developed any further. Uh, I don't suppose it could have been because at the end of the episode, his tumor is taken out, and he can't see visions anymore but i liked the the uh interplay there um you know the 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 whole is jonas's finally accepted bit uh i liked that but it's also like you said it's kind of forced um one thing i learned in the commentary is that when they were even even when they were filming this episode they weren't a hundred percent certain that they would be coming back for seventh season and that scene there was uh, Richard Dean Anderson's final scene, um, and and him, you know, uh, doing that scene and saying, "Hey, you're you're part of the team." Um, is gotcha. That. And, and it was sort of a, a a you know, hey, welcome to the team, and and see you later, you know, goodbye for now. Oh, that's fun. Um, which is kind of interesting. I guess I, like I hadn't realized. I, I should have perhaps perhaps. But I, I hadn't recalled that this is a uh, that that season seven was still up in the air so relatively late in the filming of this. That um, is curious to me, but it also kind of explains, you know, like we've had some episodes that seem to be just complete awesome things, and then other ones that are kind of weird. And if I think about the recent episodes as not being absolutely. Uh, committed to advancing a seventh season, then some of this stuff kind of starts making a bit more sense, especially like some of those filler episodes. Yeah. The ones that kind of always just felt a little bit out of place. Um, yeah. Cause you're, 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 you're filling up your season, fill up, fill up the dance card and then you're going to, you're going to bow out. And you know, from the actor's point of view, knowing that this is the penultimate episode, but it sounds like they filmed this one last. Um, yeah. Like, from their point of view, that might have been it. Yeah, that might have been you know wrap it up. And of course, we, we mentioned that last week with uh, Peter DeLuise after he finished uh, directing that episode. Right, he was basically ready to pack up his stuff and get going. Um, so you know, there's that. Uh, this has always been an episode that has felt kind of fillery to me uh, hmm. for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just. But I mean, if we know that if if this is the penultimate episode of the ultimate season. Um, and you're not going to do anything that explicitly moves you into the finale, uh, which clearly they didn't, uh, unless they did. Ooh. Um, you know, it's, it's a filler episode. It, it's, it's an episode. It, it, it's a good way to say, thanks Jonas for being part of the team for this year as we wrap yeah. things up and head on to whatever comes next for all of us and you know and you know and that whole idea is 
you know, it is important because uh, O'Neill never quite accepted Jonas uh, until. Yep. Uh, until that. So there you go. Um, that's, you know, I mean, I don't, ha- I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this episode. It's, I mean, I could talk about the whole free will determinism thing if you wanted me to, but that's definitely. It's a big conversation, though. That is and true. that's something that I kind of actually liked about how this episode treated it. They, 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 they used, yeah, it, it's a bit of a cheat. Oh, man. Okay. And also, a person would be uh, justified in criticizing me. Oh, speaking of. Okay, stick a pin in that. Criticizing me. Um, sounds bad, but it's good. Uh, a person would be justified in criticizing me because I've gone off on Stargate before when it doesn't treat a philosophical question well. Like... Uh, you know, when I feel like there was a good a good question to ask and they just didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, there was a good question here. I think that part of the reason why I'm willing to give this one a particular pass is that um, there is uh, at best, at best, if you are talking with a person and the two of you agree on some foundational definitions at best, you can come to consensus about determinism versus free will. Uh, most likely is that if you are unable to to come to those kind of baseline definitions, you're just going to go around in circles. Like right. there is no coming to a consensus on this one. So, so I was willing to kind of let it go. Like there's no way on earth this episode is going to drive me towards, like you know, drive us towards anything that resembles consensus. So don't even worry about trying. Um, but go ahead and skip a rock off of it. Like. Um, Hey, let's play around with this idea of, you know, you mean the central question. If you can see the future, can you change it? Um, and Jonas tries and it looks like he fails. And then he kind of tries again and it looks like he succeeds. But did he? And again, I'm with you on that one. That that prophecy is so vague. Um it would have been a much better prophecy if the prophecy foretold that on this day, four travelers, one with a golden tattoo and bearing strange weapons, would arrive through the chopper eye and defeat a, 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 a sniveling power grabber system lord. That, like, that would have been impressive because that would have been specific. Yeah. But the generality, the hand waving of someday somebody's going to walk through this thing and save us. That's like, yeah. And someday the weather's going to turn like give it enough time. And sure. It's, you know, it's almost inevitable. And also, by the way, I do, this is a tangent, but I do enjoy, uh, kind of chuckling at when, uh, you know, whenever a document is discovered, or a you know a book or a treatise or something. It's, it, it happens every now and again. Somebody will come across something that was published in the late nineteenth century that seems to predict like cell phones or something, and we're all like, "Look, look! This person was a hidden genius. They didn't know that he or she was able to predict it, but he did or she did." And it's like, no. You, you, what happened there is that you had people writing enough ideas that eventually somebody <laughs> came across something that looked like a cell phone, and you're like, "This person's a genius." No, that's the million monkeys in a the room with the typewriters and the Shakespeare. Like that's, that's, that's more what that is. Yeah. Some now, estimated guesses. I will say with this episode, they do give us an answer to the question of determinism and free will. Right. Um, and it, it, is it a, on, on some levels, it's a cop out and other levels. It's, it's actually right there. Um, they, they come up with a question that free will, the capacity to change the future 
um, from what it could be to what it will be, uh, exists. Yes, yes, uh, strictly and, and speaking, so, you're right. So they do say uh, that the that that free will ultimately is a real force in the universe. Yeah. Um, at the same time, they do ask, they invite us to think that maybe there are some things that um, that have been uh, set in motion and, for lack of a better term, can't be changed. But the immediate deterministic retort on that one is that Jonas was seeing visions and he f- he thought that they were truth. He thought he was observing the future. But the deterministic argument is that, no, he was shown things that caused him to behave in a way that had a ripple effect, much like a butterfly in the forest, uh, that resulted in the deterministic uh, inevitability that SG-1 was going to and SG-15 were going to be fine. Sure, we were presented with evidence that showed that had he not done what he did, SG-1 and SG-15 would be dead. But... That's just to say he was given evidence. Well, and then I mean, he acted on at it. that point in and time, he was so he was the one that saw the vision of them being killed, and mm-hmm. then he was also the one that saw the vision of how it happened with the whole ambush and such, and then that allowed him to do something which connect tr- created something that changed the way that happened. So that what you, determinism is saying, from what I'm hearing from you is that what he is receiving as future possibilities are not actually what's going to happen, but they are just something to catalyze in him yes, the, right. the, the, the set of events needed for what will happen to happen. Yes, yes, right. And th- just for the record, I hate determinism with a passion. So I sleep way better thinking that I have some kind of control over my life, and so therefore I am much more of a free will component. However... This gets me back to my original point. Look, if you're not willing to agree on some core fundamentals, you're just going to go talking around in circles yeah. because this one is an impossible one. You know, uh, I tend to fall into the category of kind of where this episode falls ultimately is that there are things that that are sufficiently close to determined, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that there is that I have no agency. I don't really like the term free will um, that I don't know. I, I don't like the implications in that and I don't know how to process that, but I do. Uh, this might be a cop out at the very least. Uh, I don't know how to operate in the world without pref- uh, presuming right. that agency yes. exists. Yeah. 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 Even yeah. if I agency mean, yeah. doesn't exist, right. uh, there, there is a way that in order for things to work best, we need to presume that agency does exist. There's a good um, uh, retort to sort of a post-truth philosophy, which one can create a logic structure that that really articulates well that 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 truth is an artificial concept, and uh, th- th- you know therefore th- you know nothing can be known to be true. It's it's all just sort of us just taking guesses etc but there's a really good retort back of like okay well then what are you going to do about it like like great fine you've established the fact that nothing is true hooray what are you going to do and right. we be we 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 act and we we there's plenty of bad that happens when we act 
thinking that something is true. That is for sure. But there's also a profound amount of progress because we think something is true. Maybe the mature way to look at it is to say, we think it's true. And a mature way is to say, and that might blow apart someday. But right now, (laughs) I'm going to make, well, it was sort of said. I mean, um, uh, Carter said it. Like, we've got to make the best decisions given the information we have right now. Mm -hmm. And if given new information means we make a different choice, that's okay. Like, the goal is not to be perfect. The goal is to be, uh, I'm going to use the word reliable. But I mean it in a bit of a more broad framework. Like the goal is to grow, but to grow in ways that are um, that that are reinforcing to one's own sense of self, et cetera. So if your sense of self is like, hey, if I get information about the fate of my friends, I'm going to act like and then you act and then the bad thing happens. Well, at least you were genuine. Like you 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 did what you knew what you were going to you were going to want to do. And so, yeah, a bad thing happened. But at least you did what you were supposed or that you felt like you needed to. So. Yeah, Uh, I did say that I wanted to stick a pin in being uh, critical of myself. I was realizing after we recorded this, this is a bit of a left turn. Uh, Turn left. Okay, we're turning around. Last week. Make sure you use your blinkers. Tick tock, tick tock. Um, I, uh, after we got done recording, I was sort of reflecting on what, what I had said in my epic rant. And while I 100% stand behind every word that I said, um, uh, the, the, the thing that stood out was that I was realizing that uh, I had used as a justification for my faux anger that I was feeling disrespected as a viewer. And I had used some phrase like, I'm not a resource to be exploited. And in kind of thinking about it, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I've had plenty of conversations with folks where they think they have a right to a story and they get real mad (laughs) when the story (laughs) doesn't go where they want it to. (laughs) And I have been critical about that line of thinking on this very show, Zach. It was, I can't remember what season we were on, but I have said in our discussions, look, you don't own this story. They can do what they want with it. And so I was kind of reflecting on that and realizing that I owe it, I owe a little bit of an apology to, to, to everyone. Like I was starting to turn into that guy and I don't like being that guy. So, yeah. um, you know, again, I stand by it because I was feeling it. And I, you know, like that, that, that's the rule of our little show is like, we talk about it as, as we are engaged with it. But upon reflection, I don't want to be that guy. So um, I'm going to do my best to cut the show some slack next time that I'm like, you guys are doing it wrong. <laughs> like, they're, they're doing it the way they're doing it. Like, yeah, I've I got opinions. that sound clip. <laughs> the hmm? <laughs> well, no, no. You guys are doing it wrong. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll find a way to see if I can isolate that and put it around some places. Um, <laughs> that'll be fun. That'll be weird. It'll be like, what is this going in here? Um, so that was one pin that I wanted to stick uh, in there and pull out. Uh, but another one, and here's here, going to turn hard right. You ready for a hard right turn? Uh, so long as you use your blinkers. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Um, I got to tell you, I'm kind of jamming the dark hero vibe of Lord Yu. Like, like he, it's just conversation around the edge right now. But you 
continues to be this, like, I don't know, hesitate to use the word agent of chaos, but like, I don't think that he's a friend of Earth at all, but I can't help but root for him right now. Like, like he's a bit of an underdog and it's a little bit of the enemy. My enemy is my friend, but I don't know. I'm just kind of getting some good jams of just like, yeah, let's like, you know, like, do you remember ages ago? I was intoning that one of these days I really want to open our podcast with um, Led Zeppelin's immigrant song because the song is about the invasion of, of the Norse. And I wanted to use it because I had hoped that Earth and the Asgard would have an episode where they just kick the teeth in on some bad gold, namely Apophis. And it, had, it didn't happen. Um, I kind of still have that kind of that same energy where I'm kind of hoping that there's an opportunity for Earth and uh, maybe the Asgard to be on the back foot and then have you come out of nowhere and just be like, yeah, like just good. So, you know, I know I'm saying things that you can't actually respond to. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging this. Like this is where I'm at. There's some pieces of information with the show. Go, you know, you go, you was a line that I laughed at. Uh, even though, um, what's her name? Uh, what's her face? Didn't, didn't even react at all. Right. Uh, but, uh, I liked it. So, so I will uh, file your thoughts on you in the. That's fascinating, Brent. I think that's awesome, and I will not comment. Uh, yeah, I figured you couldn't. I mean, because either I'm right and it's super awesome, or I'm not right, and that's just. Well, you know, it, it's, it's pretty cool either whatever. way, because it would be fun. What it means is that that you are uh, taking what's being given and you are imagining what could be or what might yeah. be. Um, and now we get to move through the next seasons and discover whether, uh, your visions of the future are real or imaginary. Oh, dude. Did you see how I brought that back? Wow. I can't top that. That was, that was expert. That was expert. Well done. Thank you. You misspelled Nequadria, by the way. I was trying to, I couldn't, whatever. I'm just kidding. It's fake. I can spell it how I want. It doesn't exist. (laughs) SD1 is real, Brent. All of this is a documentary of what's actually happening under Cheyenne Mountain. (laughs) Naquadri is real. There actually is a spaceship called Prometheus out there that the U.S. Air Force has done. (laughs) <laughs> that's what the whole storm area 51 was all about exactly a bit ago when when was that was that last year uh, yeah, a couple last years year, ago yeah was that pre-pandemic i can't remember and that's why i'm like because i thought it wasn't pre-pandemic which made it all the more stupid but i can't uh, remember yeah like, yeah i think you're right i think it was it yeah. Like it was in like the spring of 2020. It's like, I think. like, look, this is a pandemic. Why are you doing something like this? Yeah. And then a yeah. piece of me was like, whatever, they're all loony bins anyway. And then another piece was like, at least they're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, Brent, you had the nods and sods there of a new source of Nequadria question. Mark. Yeah. And what were your thoughts there? That just, it was just me acknowledging like, you know, the, the, the point of this planet was that, uh, 
Baal thought that the Nequadria mines were tapped out, and so he was in, uninterested. Um, so, no, uh, no, that's not Nequadria. That was just plain old ordinary Naquita. Oh, whoops. Anyway, um, new source of Naquita, I guess, is really what I'm asking. Um, and, you know, like, well, actually, no, I do have a question for you, Zach. Okay. Is our... our are our intrepid heroes short on Naquita right now or no? We were way back. Um, we haven't heard anything in the story explicitly about that. Now, we can make some inferences here. Um, we know that Naquita plays a key role in the Gould technology. So when they make the their spaceships, when they make their weapons, mm-hmm. um, Nakura plays a significant role in that. And we also know that a lot of uh, Earth's advanced weapons, the Prometheus and the X-302 and the like, um, are based heavily on uh, Gulwold designs or Gulwold mm-hmm. structures. So... If we put two and two together, we can say with a fair amount of certainty that Earth needs Naquita at a significant amount in order to make these things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, These are all things that we can safely infer. We haven't been informed of any of this stuff. We can just infer this. Mm-hmm. Um, this would also then infer that since there is no Naquita on Earth, that they have uh, acquired some place where they can get Naquita themselves. But this, again, is an inference, and we don't have any clear evidence definitively. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then... This planet as a potential resource for Earth is a little less important. So the Naquita mines, it's much more of a story driver. Ball thought it was done for. He splits. Um, Mott thinks or Mott discovers that it's not done for. He's secretly stockpiling Naquita in an effort to overthrow Ball in a moment of weakness. The moment of weakness has arrived. Mott is unfortunately shot. Truly, unfortunately, that guy, uh, man, he would have made a good bad guy. Anyway, um, but there we go. There we are. There you have it. All right, Brent. Yes. It is time to give your Chevron predictions. Now, yes. What I asked our good lis- listeners who on Facebook is that they needed to predict our ratings yeah with prophecy with prophecy mm-hmm. right i warned them of getting you know tumors in their brains and all of that stuff but, but, <laughs> but in any case uh now it is time to see whether their predictions and visions of the future are real or yeah. just monkeys and typewriters in a large room <laughs> nice all right so you have seven chevrons more or less, to work with. How many do you give Prophecy? I had a good time with this one. It does have a little bit of clunky clonk to it. And some of the things I kind of wish were a little bit more developed. You know what? Yeah, I did want Mott to stick around. Oh, he would have been a good bad guy for the movie. 
But I can see how they're they're trying to wrap up loose ends here. And I really appreciate that knowledge that at this point, they thought that they were going to be done. Like, they didn't know there was going to be a season seven. Lots of things are making a lot more sense now that I'm looking at it with that lens. I didn't have so good a time with this episode as to be like at the tippy top or the high end of this thing. So I'm going to give it a five out of seven. But the questions were interesting. And I thought that they did a decent job with them. Just enough to make it interesting. Decent story. It was fun. I liked the bad guy. Directing, acting, lighting, pacing. Or lighting was good. Pacing was a little bit weird, but it's okay. Five out of seven for me. Okay. How about you? Um, I thought this episode was fine. Um, it's I, I like the questions that it's asking. Um, I had more excitement for this by talking about it with you than I did watching it mm. myself. Yes. Um, I, I can't, like lampoon it by any stretch of the imagination it's it's fine uh so i'm gonna give it a four okay that makes sense there you go all right we have some predictions yes i'm zipping over to twitter and while you do that i will get uh facebook up here now one thing that i did was that i was I was I was being I was being jokey jokey, uh, saying that you know time for predictions. So y'all should probably just go over to Facebook and do it. <laughs> so, but I do have two replies here. Let's see what we got. Ah. Let's see, let's see, let's see what we got because we got a reply here. Uh, <laughs> we got a nothing. We got Jacob saying hello and misspelling hello. So hello, hello to you, Jacob. Hello, Jacob. Uh, and then <laughs> and then we got uh, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. He goes, hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. I usually post elsewhere, but if I go to the book face or the MySpaces, then I won't get to hear my favorite Bane-loving host read this message. That's true. I guess that's very true. Thanks for everything you and Zach and David do. All the fans love and appreciate you guys. See you on the finale. Or see you for the finale. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. I, I anticipate that he probably gave his predictions over on Facebook. He did. <laughs> so that's all we've got on the Twitters. All right. Thanks, friends. Well, we have uh, predictions that begin with Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Kimberly predicts that you will give it a five out of six, Ooh. but I think she meant seven. Yes. Uh, I would give it a five out of 5.5 out of seven. Uh, <laughs> close. Close. Uh, she says, yay, continu- continuity with near T. Nice to see Jonas in the spotlight. Lots of background politicking of the system lords. It's a good solid episode, but not series changing like redacted. Uh, ah. To bump chevrons to the stratosphere. So, uh, she said five and five and a half. I, you know, uh, that's respectable. Um, I, for me, this is an episode that... I mean, I don't remember watching it the first time, but it's... It has never been one of those episodes that I'm excited to watch on rewatches. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to do it. It's not like I'm dreading it. But I'm, I've never been like, ooh, this is the one when blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, right. you know, I'm like, eh, okay, this is the one when this happens and that happens. All right. So, Kevin says. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. I actually like this episode. Everyone enjoys mm-hmm. seeing a TPK every now and then. Uh, oh, yeah. Note to everybody, TPK is a uh, 
term that's often used in role-playing games. It stands for Total Party Kill. Yes. Uh, it's when the game master, either because he or she misjudged uh, the powers of the bad guys, or he's or she is annoyed at uh, the players, <laughs> um, or they just rolled really badly. Uh, the bad guys that uh, confront the good guys are too powerful and kill everybody, and you yes. have to start over from the beginning. Yes. So everyone enjoys seeing a TPK every now and then, but no p- impact on the meta story. Uh. A little, a little foreshadowing here. Next week, I wish I could see Brent's face as he watches. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, he predicts a four from Zach and a four from yes. Brent. Ooh, close again. Very close. Uh, our good friend moderator, David, uh, asks the question, what is a TPK? And Kevin responds. Uh, yep. Uh, David then responds, maybe no impact, but the background information that Mott gives about Ball, Anubis, and you is worth paying attention to. Uh Uh-huh. Kevin says, uh, it's a desire to set up what is to come. However, it is intended to be set up for a movie, so it gets a bit more drawn out in season seven. There you go. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm, I am aware that they want to do a movie. And I'm also obviously aware there's a season seven, eight, nine, and 10. Like, you know, there's, it's, it's not perfect, but hey, we're having fun as best yeah. we can. Uh, I will say that uh, in season seven, we do get uh, a granted highly modified, uh, but we get the, the, the bare bones, you know, like what was, what was the movie going to be? The, mm-hmm. the movie was going to be X, Y, and Z. Well, they take yeah. that story and they adapt it to television and Got it. we get that story in season seven. Uh, nice. So okay. Now we have Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says Jonas is feeling a little off. He's not even telling potential allies up front that their gods are phonies this week. Seeing the future is also <laughs> apparently causing him some confusion over whether the team are wearing blue or green today. How embarrassing. Meanwhile, the rest of the team deals with an unmemorable one-off villain on the planet of the week. Oh, come on! Not a bad episode. I I prophesy that Brent will give it a four, and Zach will give it a four and a half. This Uh episode is rated 7.8 on IMDb, which is a four and a half on my IMDb to Chevron Mm. rating conversion scale, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. putting it in the bottom half of Stargate episodes overall. Yeah. I think it's justifiable. Yep. Yep. Um, and I believe that JD commented. I just got to find it now. It There it is. Okay. All right. JD says. Hi, JD. I'm going to be honest. I didn't even remember this episode. Now that I've <laughs> rewatched the trailer again, I still don't. Two out of sevens all around. This season needs to end. <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> nice. There you go. So uh, uh, those are our uh, Facebook predictions. Mm-hmm. And let's check the emails. Email. So check my email. looks like for emails, what we have is David. David is the uh, 
Hey, David. All right, David says, I had a vision, a vision of a Chevron ratings for this episode, but I couldn't see it all because there was a Chevron encoding bias buffer. Ah, ah, but the, but we gotta, surely we can change the rating. All right, no. he says, I liked this episode a lot. Uh-huh. Realistic risk for our characters, action, creepy bad guy, lessons learned, the future changed, prophecies fulfilled, character growth. I could go on, but right. I'm sure you've covered it all. I'll just add this. I loved Mott as a bad guy. Oh, yeah. He's not a god. They don't think he's a god. He's still feared, though, because he has power over them and he's smart. This is what the Gua world should have evolved to instead of, We're gods! Evil, virtually immortal tyrants. <gasps> then again, yes. look where it got him. Dead like right. all the rest. All the rest from from a pistol. Yep. Now, in terms of the prophecy that David gives for our Chevron ratings, yes, he predicts a six Chevrons from oh. you because oh, he okay. felt the lack of plot armor. Yep. And a six and a half Chevrons mm-hmm. for me. The extra half is for the end scene showing Jack really does care for Jonas now. It's pretty nice. I gotta tell you, I was a little bit surprised, frankly. Frankly, I'll let you in on a little secret here. Okay. I was a little bit surprised that Jonas lived. Oh. I, I kind of had, like, it kind of was giving me the vibes, like, this is the send-off. Like, he's going to do one last heroic thing for the team. Like, thanks, Cornemic, for your time. It's been wonderful. Hasta luego. Um, and we're going to have a fitting send-off for your character by having some, like, paranormal situation happening where you can, uh, you know, and maybe they would have done something kind of, like, grand and epic you know, and as the, as the episode was kind of motoring along, it was becoming less clear as to whether or not said grand epic thing was going to happen. And but it was still going to be like, well, maybe this is it. And he lived, and I'm like, oh, he lived. All right, I'll see you later there. Well, there you go. Okay. All right. Well, we'll find out what happens to Corin Nemec. Well, probably not Corin Nemec, but Jonas Quinn and the rest of the team next week on the season finale. Yes, the season finale, my dear friend Brent, uh-huh. is entitled. Full circle. Not a half circle, not a partial circle, not a broken circle, not a <sighs> twisted circle, a full circle. And I ask hey. you, what is full circle all about? Oh boy. Full circle season finale. Not sure if they're going to be a season seven, thinking that they're going into a movie. What could they do? Full circle. Okay. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. It's a world full of stunning, large, huge, landscapey mirrors. Mirrors, just mirrors, mirrors and mirrors. Ooh, 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 okay. Just mirrors everywhere. They, it's curious. It's It's a very peculiar situation, especially because for the most part, whenever they step through the gate, they find themselves on something that resembles a civilized world or was formerly civilized. This one is nothing of the sort. Additionally, they find themselves on worlds that seem to be hospitable to humankind, mostly not this place. This place is bizarre, strange, completely different. They start walking through the landscape with all these mirrors everywhere, and they look through one, and they find that their vision is not being reflected, but rather passing through this mirror. What? It's like the mirror from, what was it, season two? Where oh. uh, uh, um, 
Daniel Jackson, like, what did he do? Did he touch it and then everything got flipped around or whatever that was? Well, he went into this an is, alternate reality. This is that planet where that mirror is from. <gasps> scene after scene, act after act, our heroes are trying to get back home, finding ways to get back from the parallel universes that they seem to be entrapped in. But every single step of the way, they are finding themselves revisiting major monumental moments instead of having succeeded in uh defeating the 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 grand council of system lords they find themselves in an alternate universe where the system lords have succeeded and they have to escape quickly before they are captured being the only humans left alive after the successful invasion of earth they step into another and they find themselves uh um I don't know, uh, finding a way to stop Osiris in the temple that they went to that one time, which completely dramatically altered everything. And while they wish that they could stay in this world where the system lords have been defeated once and for all, they must go back. They know this isn't the real place to be. And then finally, they find themselves full circle on Abydos where they are greeted once again by oh no who's the main guy the chief uh yasuf kasuf yasuf kasuf bunny way where they see, way. they see they 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 once again are greeted by yasuf kasuf and fi- kasuf i may i misspoke kasuf kasuf and they find themselves once again giving of themselves but this time for some reason something is off Something is strange. It's not quite clicking. What is the mystery? How will our heroes get back from the Hall of Mirrors that they have found themselves? How will they interpret their past great adventures in order to solve the mystery, bringing an end to this magnificent series of Stargate SG-1? Join us for the series finale. Oh, wait, what? It's not the series finale? Oh, join us for season six finale. What are we doing? We're doing full circle. That's right. Full circle. So. Yes. Zach. Yes. Are we going to go to the mirror planet? So I will say that uh, no mirrors were harmed in this episode. Okay, good. Um, I guess. I I will say that uh, the beginning of your uh, uh, prediction or description of them going to a strange new world is not wholly accurate. Oh, okay. Um, but your discussion of visiting Abydos is yeah. not inaccurate. Oh. Hey, we're going to Abydos. So, with all of that, it is time to watch the promo for full circle okay are you ready i was ready okay now i'm ready again i'm hitting play now next time on the season finale of stargate sg1 you must rally all those capable of fighting all those willing to die all those who must not fail wait what what hi jack hi daniel Abydos is in trouble. Uh-oh. Anubis commands that you turn over the Eye of Ra immediately. 
where he will destroy all of Abydos. Okay. I command. Hey, it's you! The forces of the system lords. You finally managed to rally them against me. You know what I am, you know very well. What? I like you from existence. I know who you are, Daniel Johnson. But you know not who I am. A showdown? Is Daniel Jackson gonna kick Anubis's butt? We oh. will have to wait until next week to find out. Oh my gosh! I don't know if I can wait till next week to find out, <laughs> Zach. Oh so, no! Brent, we we have a, a nuts and bolts question. Uh, yeah. Um. Next week. Oh yeah. You will be visiting me. Yeah. yeah that's right. Um. I mean. Okay, dear listeners, who knows what's going to happen because there's travel times and he has to travel at the time we normally record the podcast and I'm doing a show and all this stuff. But are we hoping, Brent, next yeah. week to record this episode yes. in person? That was my thinking. I mean, I only thought of it like a couple of days ago, but yes. Okay, there you go, folks. <laughs> if everything is as planned, this will be an episode that we record in the same space. Yes. At the same time. Yes. And all of that stuff. It's going to be good. Looks It'll like be it. Fun, I fun. Hope it's going to be good. It better be good. <laughs> it's a full circle, Brent. It's a full circle. It's full circle. We're on Abydos. Indeed. All right. That's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much, David, for yes, putting the you, promo David. together. Uh, thank you, all of you, for listening and supporting the podcast and just having fun with us. Uh, yes. Tell us what you think uh, by emailing us at Walking Through the Stargate or talking to us on Twitter at Stargate Walking or go to the Facebooks or the Discords or the website or the Patreons. We got whatever it is. <laughs> do the things. We've got lots of places. Holy smokes, do yeah. we have places. Do you yeah. remember when we didn't have places, Brent? And yes. now we have places. That, those are the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all of that and this slightly shorter episode for <laughs> all of you, who are concerned with things like that, I say I'm Zach. <laughs> and I'm Brent. This has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. You guys are doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs>